Should we just give an invitation or what? Yeah, I, uh, I think that would be fitting. But, uh, I got a letter from Brother Scotty, and I want to read that to you right here before we get into the message. Uh, he said, Lake St. John Community Baptist Church, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for allowing me the privilege of worshiping with you during revival. Our hearts were blessed in seeking the Lord with you, and uh, you are such an encouragement to us. I thank you for your loving kindness uh, that you've shown toward us as we continue in the work of spreading the gospel around the world. It's a blessing to know that you are praying for us, and please know that we pray for you in your Jerusalem. Uh, May the Lord's blessings be upon each of you. It was a pleasure serving you, and I pray that we will continue to seek Christ and to praise Him. Until then, may God's richest blessings be yours. Scotty McDowell. Amen. What a, what a privilege it was, brother. I don't know if he's out there watching, and probably he's preaching somewhere this morning. Amen. But uh, we, we are certainly thankful that he was able to come and to spend some of his time with us. You'd be praying for him in the ministry. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, what I want to talk to you about this morning are the devices of Satan. The devices of Satan. Boy, I'll tell you what, they are many and they are varied. Uh, He uh, attacks uh, individuals. He attacks you individually. He attacks me individually. But he attacks us as a church. He attacks us as a community and us as a nation, uh, us as a uh, state. He comes against our leaders here in the state. Of course, when I say He, Satan, we understand that He has a multitude of uh, people in the army uh, beneath Him that He sends to do His dastardly deeds. But uh, He has a lot of of followers and He has a lot of devices. And Paul is writing to a church, the church of Corinth. He's writing the second letter to them. The first letter, of course, was a letter uh, of chastisement. There had been a lot of things going on in the church at Corinth that uh, were sinful. It seemed like chapter after chapter after chapter of of, uh, 1 Corinthians, he was rebuking them about different things that were going on in the church. It had had a lot of difficulty. In it, I've seen a lot of churches that have been faced with a lot of difficulty. And one of the things that I believe is that churches are very unaware sometimes of where that difficulty is really coming from. They, they think that it's coming, well, from the pastor, or maybe from the board of deacons, or maybe from the music director, or maybe from the uh, person that is in control of the, the bag or the, the money. Um, but my friend, I want you to realize, even though all of us may be involved in those things, I'll guarantee you, who is really behind it all is Satan. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your home and your family, your loved ones. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to destroy this nation. And boy, I'll tell you what, I have never, ever seen America in the condition that it is in right now. It is literally teetering on the brink of destruction, and I believe that it has been a plan carried out 
by Satan for a long time. And we as the church, remember, if we which are called by His name will humble ourselves and seek His face, pray, turn from our wicked way, then will He hear from heaven and heal our land. So we can't blame it on this godless system, the godless government that we have in control of our nation right now. God is in control of our nation and He controls it depending upon what we, the people of God, do. Are we living the life? Are we being faithful to Him? Are we following Him? But you see, Satan in turn is not so much interested in the world and the godless system and the godless people out in the world as he is in the children of God. Satan puts his focus his attention on the people of God, on the church. Because he knows, you see, this is one of his many devices that I'm going to be talking about here. He knows that if he's going to have a victory, it's going to be in making God's people stumble and fall in sin. He realizes that uh, he can't get to God. He can't destroy Him. He can't take Him off His throne. At one time He thought He could, but God, of course, kicked Him third of the host of heaven, out of heaven altogether. And uh, He wasn't quite as powerful as He thought He was. And God was much more powerful than He thought He was. So now, the best that He can do is attack the peripherals, the outside edges of what it is that God loves and what God is doing. Uh, Of course, uh, one uh, that Satan had set with snares uh, was trying to to discourage Paul and to cause Paul to stumble, to cause Paul to sin. And uh, he, he, Paul the Apostle, and if Paul the Apostle needs to be on his guard, how much more should we, how much more do we as individual Christians need to be on our guard against the schemes of the enemy. Now we've got three enemies. You understand that this godless system, the godless world, that is our enemy. This world is not your friend. By the way, this world is not your home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But we have the enemy of this godless system, the world. We have the enemy of our old nature. And that's really the worst enemy we have because it lives on the inside of us. It has access to everything that we are. It knows us as well as we know ourselves because it is ourself. And then, of course, we have Lucifer. We have Satan. We have the devil. And uh, just as Paul needed to be on guard against the enemy's schemes, we have the same enemy today that he had a couple of thousand years ago attacking him. And he never sleeps. He never rests. He never tires. He's always learning. He's always growing and understanding and wisdom. He's not like God. God is omniscient. He already knows everything. Satan doesn't know everything. But he's learning. And by the way, he knows his enemy well. And you are his enemy. And he is our enemy. And we should know our enemy as well. We have the same enemy attacking our homes, our families, our churches. And yes, even your pastor is under attack by the enemy. And I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that ye may prove, put to the test, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for you. Well, I want to run down just a few of the things that are devices of Satan. You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 9, and it says this, For this end, or for to this end, also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. Now, what Paul is saying to the church is, I'm writing this letter to you that I might find out just who you are. Just whose you are and who you are and how it is that you are living your life. Whether you are being faithful to the Word of God and to the God of the Word or whether you are being disobedient to Him. I write these things to this end that I might know the proof of you whether you be obedient in all things to whom ye forgive anything I forgive also. For it I forgive Uh, For if I forgive anything to whom I forgive it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. And then in verse 11 it says this, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I want you to understand that he is wily. He is subtle. And and that's the very first Uh, device that I really want to talk about is the subtlety of Satan. Subtlety. Well, what does the word subtlety actually mean? Well, listen, if Satan came to us as a roaring lion, you know, if he came to us dressed up like the caricature in all of the comic books of the devil. He had on his little red suit with the horns and he was carrying his pitchfork or he was dressed up like the lion Uh, walking to and fro, seeking whom He may devour, then of course, we would be on our guard. And we would be ready. We would stand against Him with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of our being. We would be prayed up, stayed up, studied up, and we would be ready to, to defend ourselves against the lion, the devil. My friend, he's a little more subtle than that. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But he is more subtle than you and I can possibly imagine. He's more likely to come to us, not as a roaring lion, but as a harmless kitten. Something that looks so sweet and so innocent that we would not be afraid of it if it crawled up in our laps and started to purr. You should, have, you should have gotten that promotion. We'll tell ourselves in our minds. I don't know why so-and-so got it, but I deserved it. We, we have the, the same enemy attacking us, but he attacks us in our minds. And it's the things that we think about that he attacks us in. You, you, don't, want to, you don't want to miss that football game today. You know, it's okay if you stay home and, and watch just one football game. It's the only football game that I really care anything about all year long. Uh, a little flirting's not 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 too bad. You know, I'm not I'm not cheating on my husband. I'm not cheating on my wife. It's just being a little flirtatious at work behind the scenes. Nobody really knows. I'm not hurting any anything. You see, it's these and other thoughts that come to us that we think are harmless. 
But it's in those harmless things. It's in those subtle things that Satan comes to us as a little kitten, not as a roaring lion. But it's something that is pleasurable, something that is fun, something that's obviously not really going to do very much harm. We've seen the same enemy attacking our homes and our families for years. And we realize that it starts out just giving them just an inch. Just a little. And when you give the devil an inch, what's he do? He takes a mile. And what seems to be harmless grows until all of a sudden he really reveals who he is and what he is after. And he destroys homes and families and lives and churches. We've seen homes and families and lives and churches fall apart because they were not on guard against the subtleness of the devil. These and other thoughts, they don't seem to be really sinful in and of themselves, but they are subtle ways that can lead to sin and destruction. Well, the second device that I see that Satan uses in our lives, and I've seen it for a long time, I've been doing this now for 34 years, 33 years, somewhere around there, um, between 33 and 34. And, and Satan's tactics, his devices never really change. Um, he, he'll, it's the same tactics, but he wraps them in a different wrapper. And he'll send them to different people under different disguises. But it's, it's really the same thing. The second device is ignorance. Uh, one of the subtle ways that Satan attacks us is through our lack of knowledge and understanding of his word. You, you see that back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. It says this, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, as God said, Shall you not eat? Uh, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Uh, when we don't know really what God says, then we don't have any way to, our, to defend ourselves from, from his, his attack. Now, of course, uh, Eve remembered what God had said, but she added to His Word. She takes a little away from His Word. She adds a little to His Word. She blends her thoughts and her heart and her feelings and her emotions into what it is that God said. And all of a sudden, you take away the power of the Word of God. And when we are ignorant to the Word of God, we cannot defend ourselves from His attack. So the first step in fighting against this is what? Well, it's to arm ourselves with the knowledge and the understanding of God's Word. We have to, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, it teaches this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You know, we should be ashamed as old as we are, not, not in years, physically, but as old as we are in Christ. Do you remember when you bent the knee, bowed the head, and surrendered your heart and life to Christ and received Him as your Lord and as your Savior. Hebrews uh, chapter 5, the last three verses. When for a time you ought to be teachers of the Word of God, you have need as such as be uh, babes that need the milk of the Word of God. And we've got people sitting on pews that have been listening to the Word of God for over a year, five years, ten years, some twenty or thirty years, and they're still sucking on the bottle the milk of the Word of God. Rather than being teachers of the Word of God, 
They're still sitting and nursing and receiving the engrafted milk of the Word of God and have not grown to a point in their hearts and their lives of understanding and knowledge and wisdom of not only what the Word of God says. There's a lot of people who know what the Word of God says. But they don't know what it means. They've never, they've never applied it to their lives and are living the life that God has called us to live, study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When we have a lack of knowledge of God's word, it leads to the third device of Satan. And the third device is doubt. When we don't know what God says, then we doubt what God says. And we doubt the people who are telling us what God says. Yea, hath God said? I believe that is something else that Satan told Eve in the garden uh, when he slithered up to the tree and plucked the fruit off of it and was sitting there eating it in front of her. And uh, her ignorance of what it was that God meant and the message that God was giving to her was absolutely lost. When Satan slithered up and took that fruit and ate a bite of it, and and uh, she said, "Well, well, God said for us not to not to eat of that." He says, "Yea, hath God said uh, that in the day thereof you'll you'll surely die? Oh, you won't die. You you won't fall down. You'll fall up. You won't die. You'll be more alive than you've ever been." And you see, we start doubting the Word of God. We start doubting what it is that the Word of God, the Bible, teaches. Because the world, this godless system, on the, and, and by the way, when you send your children to school, don't think that school is teachers of Christ. They don't love the Word of God. They don't love the God of the Word. They don't love your children the way that you should love your children. And especially when we start sending them to the, you know, the colleges, the centers for what they call higher learning. Amen. That is the lower learning level. When you go to these colleges, what they are doing is they have liberal uh, professors and teachers there that are pumping garbage into our children's heads and minds to teach them that there is no God. Yea, yea, God hath not said, because there is no God. And then our children start doubting what it is that they have learned in Sunday school and in church growing up with you. And one of the reasons is not only because the professor uh, of higher learning is telling them to doubt what it is they learned when they were children, but now they haven't seen it in their, their parents' lives as they were growing up. So not only do they have the doubt because some smarter guy than I am is telling me that it's a fairy tale, but they look back at their parents' and grandparents' lives and all they see is... A life backing up what the college professor is saying. One of the subtle ways that Satan attacks is through the lack of knowledge. And the lack of knowledge leads to doubt. 2 Timothy 1, 12 and 13 says this, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now listen, that is where we need to be. We need to be in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own skin to the point that we can say, for I know, not that I think, not that I, I, you know, I believe, but know that I know whom I have believed it. And I am persuaded, absolutely, 100%, totally persuaded in who God is and what He has said and that this is the only standard of truth. There is no standard of truth in the colleges around America. 
The only standard of truth is right here inside of this building, inside of the Word of God that we are holding in our laps and laying on this, this pulpit and studying and hiding it in our heart that we might not sin against God. For I know whom I have believed it, and I am absolutely persuaded that He, not I, not you, but He is able to keep that which I've committed. What did I commit to Him against that day? Well, I committed my ever-living, never-dying, somewhere forever soul. And I know that He is able to keep it because I'm unable. I can't keep my promises to Him. I can't keep my soul out of hell. The only thing that I can keep is the Word of God and keeping my mind focused. And I really need the power of God living on the inside of me to enable me to do that. So where it says, For I know and I am persuaded, we understand that we need to hold fast the form of sound words which we have heard, of course, of Paul and all the other teachers in the Word of God in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That's the end of that verse 12 and 13. Just the knowledge is the opposite of ignorance. Just as knowledge is the opposite of ignorance. So faith is the opposite of doubt. So when we have faith, I mean, faith is not just believing. Faith is believing that the, to the point that you surrender every inch, every answer, every fiber of your being to everything that He is, and you make up your mind and are determined that you are going to live the life that God has called us to live. And when we have that type of faith, then we have no doubt in who He is and what it is that He demands of our lives. The word doubt doesn't mean that you don't believe something to be true. It just simply means that you're just not really completely sure. Oh, I believe in God, but I'm just not sure who He is. I believe in God, but I'm just not really sure of what He says. My friend, study to show thyself approved unto God. It takes brain sweat. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort to study and hide the Word of God in your heart. So we have subtleness. We have ignorance. We have doubt. Well, how do you defeat doubt? You have to become fully persuaded. Know what you believe, and not only what you believe, but know why. Why you believe it. See, a lot of people know what they believe. I know what I believe. Why? Because Mama told me. I know what I believe because the preacher preached it. Hold me up to the light of God's Word, alright? Hold my feet to the fire. Hold your mama's feet to the fire. Hold your Sunday school's feet to the fire. You study the Word of God yourself and hide it in your heart. Bathe your mind in it day to day. I'm guaranteeing you that if the only meals that you get from the Word of God, from the bread of life, is from behind this pulpit, then you are malnutritioned. You are starving to death spiritually. If you're not coming to Sunday school, if you're not coming on Sunday night, if you're not coming on Wednesday night, and all I get is a Sunday morning meal. What if you only ate one meal a week physically? Yo, it might keep you alive, but barely. Amen? You wouldn't look as healthy as you're looking now. I promise you. My friend, some of us are very unhealthy spiritually. Because we are getting fed so very, very little. Study to show thyself approved unto God. 
which uh, needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Romans 10.17 says this, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Did you hear what that says? Wait a minute. Faith cometh by hearing, but hearing comes by the word of God. See, it doesn't say faith cometh by hearing the Word of God. Lost people can't hear the Word. Oh, they hear the black ink on white paper coming out of my mouth. They hear what I'm saying out of the Word of God. But they are deaf spiritually. They hear the physical Word, but they don't get the spiritual understanding out of it because faith cometh by hearing. Oh, but hearing comes by the Word of God. It's the Word of God that regenerates and wakes up and draws and saves and gives spiritual understanding and light and illumination to a person that they might be able to follow the truths of the Word of God. We have to be unshakable and unmovable in our convictions. And the only way that we can do that is to study the Word. And the Word uh, brings faith. And But you can't have faith until first the light is turned on. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the Word of God. My friend, you've got to pour the Word of God into your mind to the point that the Holy Spirit of God wakes you up and you understand what it is that He is saying to the church. The Bible says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. But a lot of people do know, well, you've got physical ears to hear what's coming out from behind the pulpit. But he that hath ears to hear, that's spiritual ears, ears on your heart to hear and to understand spiritual things. That means spiritual life. Well, fourthly, subtleness of Satan. The ignorance of the believers and those that are listening. The doubt that that ignorance rises in our hearts, in our homes, our families, our lives. But the fourth device that Satan uses in our lives is pride. Boy, I I hear people right now sitting here this morning in these pews thinking to themselves that none of the things that I'm talking about are relevant or apply to their lives. Listen, I know the subtility of Satan. I'm not unaware of the tricks of the enemy. I'm not ignorant to his ways or his will. I'm not ignorant to the Word of God. I don't have doubts in my life. My friend, sometimes the reason that we think those things and believe those things, even though if we put ourselves under the microscope and really examine what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, and in our faithfulness to Christ, we would come up lacking, the Bible says. And the reason that we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to is because of pride. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says this, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, others might be dealing with this issue. And these issues, the issues like the ones that we're talking about, but certainly mm, not me. I'm good. I'm okay. My friend, we need to realize Uh, I need to realize that I need to spend more time in the Word of God. I need to spend more time in prayer. 
I need to spend more time seeking out the will of God for my life, for my home, for my family, for the things that are going on. I have no doubts about who I am and who Christ is and Satan is, but I know this, I am not in control. I have my faith and my confidence in one person and that person is not me. And when I take my eyes off of Christ and say, oh, I'm good, i got this, that's when you're going down. That's when you're going to be in trouble and Satan walking about seeking whom he may devour will find you in that weakened state and he'll attack your home, he'll attack your children, he'll attack your church. My friend, that's how he gets in to those areas. Well, lastly, Satan's devices need to be withstood. And they can only be withstood by watchfulness and prayer. You see, we've got to be aware. And if we're filled with pride and we think that we're okay, then that keeps us from being watchmen. That keeps us from being on guard. That keeps us from praying about the things that are going on in our world, in our nation, in our state, in our church, in our home, in our family, in my heart, in my own life. We need to be watchful and to be prayerful. It's... It's something not to be ignorant of those things. The unwary and the unthinking and the prideful are entrapped through their ignorance. Yet knowledge is not a sufficient protection. Just because I know the truth does not give me any protection from the wiles of the devil. We need a distrust and our own ability, and a reliance on the power and wisdom of God in order to find safety and deliverance from the enemy. If we are trusting in the flesh, the flesh is weak and the flesh will fail us. My friend, Satan will have a free-for-all in your heart, in your home, in your family, in your life. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18, everybody knows Ephesians 6 is talking about the, uh, the armor of God. And it reads like this, put on the whole armor of God. And that means don't just put on a little of it. You can't go to church once a Sunday and think that you're covered in the army of God, in the armor of God. That we have to literally put on every piece of this every morning, every day when we wake up. We don't take it off when we go to bed. We should sleep with it on. But when we wake up in the morning, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, Cover ourselves in the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I want you to realize something, that the people in your home, in your family, it's not your wife, it's not your husband, it's not your children, not your boss, It's not the people that are in your church that don't believe like you believe or they're not praying for you the way they should. Listen, it is us. It's me that stands in need of protection and faith. Wherefore, take unto yourself the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand and withstand in the day of evil. Having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Now listen, we, we talk about righteousness all the time in this church. I know that I don't talk about it a lot from behind the pulpit on Sunday morning, but if you're coming on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and Sunday school, then you hear us teach about the righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ. When I, by grace through faith, bend the knee, bow the head, surrender my heart, my life to Christ as my Lord and Savior, then the imputation of Christ's righteousness is given to me. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That makes me fit for heaven. But my friend, do you understand that it takes the self-righteousness? A lot of people don't like even the word or the terminology self-righteousness. But there is a righteousness that we ourselves have to produce. That means being faithful to God. Studying to show ourselves approved unto God. We are being righteous by studying. We are being righteous by coming to church. We are being righteous by praying. We are... Creating a righteous lifestyle. The fervent effectual prayer of a self-righteous person or a person that is leading a righteous lifestyle availeth much. Don't you want your prayers to avail much for your family? My friend, they will not avail anything if you are not living a righteous life. So part of that armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of God and my righteousness and Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the preparation. Are you preparing a meal? You see, I've prepared this meal for you today. This is the Word of God. I have spent hours gluing this thing together, going back over it, rehearsing it in my mind, taking this out, adding that to it, searching other Scriptures. That is called studying the Word of God. It's not just reading through a verse or two. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my, the Lord my soul to keep. And I'm going to read a verse before I go to sleep. I pray my soul that you will keep. Amen. And you drift off into Never Never Land. But we're talking about spending quality time preparing your heart and your mind with the Word of God. My friend, if you want to stand against the wiles of the devil and you want to stand on holy ground and be able to pray for your wife and your children and your grandchildren, you want your prayers to avail much, then you've got to prepare your heart and your mind. Having done all to stand, let your loins be girt about with truth. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor. Having done all to stand, stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And of course, that is talking about the wicked one. That is talking about our arch enemy, Satan. He wants to destroy you. And then it says this, And taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer. My friend, if you do not have the helmet of salvation, all of the rest of the armor will not fit you. It will not protect you. It will not help you if you do not have the helmet of salvation. Well, how do I how do I know that I'm saved? Hereby do we know that we know Him. Hereby do we know that we're saved is basically what that says. Hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar. And the truth not in Him. That is not, you know, hard. It's, it's basic 
understanding of English. Hereby, this is how I know that I'm saved. Because I love the Lord and I keep His commandments. You say, preacher, are you keeping all His commandments? You sinless old boy? No, I'm not, but I'm striving to. That's really what that word means. Is that we are actually putting forth the effort to strive to be holy. To strive to live the life that God has called us to live. Because we love Him. Not so I can go to heaven. Not so I can get a blessing. But just because I love Him. He died for me that I might live for Him. So I surrender my heart, my life, everything that I am to everything that He is. And then salvation comes to your life. Until you love Him and not what He can do for you. You're lost. You're lost. We need Christ. We need the love of Christ. Shed abroad in our hearts. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I can't understand the Word of God. I can't. People say, well, I've read the Bible all the way through twice. And I just, I don't understand anything in there. I, I can't keep it. It just, you know, I remember it for just a minute and then it's gone. Why? Why do you think that happens? Because the Holy Spirit of God, the writer of the Word of God, is not living on the inside of you, illuminating, regenerating, and bringing your mind and your heart to an understanding of God's will and God's Word and God's way. So if we don't have the helmet of salvation, we can't. We cannot. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he, for they are spiritual, and he is carnal, sold under sin. If you want to know the things of Christ, you have to have the Spirit of Christ living on the inside of you. So, taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the Spirit. If I don't have the Spirit, if I don't have the helmet of salvation, I can't understand the Word of God. And my prayers, they bounce off the ceiling because I don't have the Spirit of God living in me. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You see, you can't afford for me not to be aware of the devices of Satan. Yes, I said you can't afford me not to be aware of the devices of Satan. Why? Because I pray for you. I lift you up. You are the flock that God has put under my watch care. And I love you guys. And I pray for you guys all the time. I can almost close my eyes and look around the room and see who's sitting where. Because we pretty much generally said in the same places every time. And I have a photograph of this stamped on my brain. And I can go up and down the aisles and pray for you guys. I do that a lot. I hope that you'll pray for me. Because I need it. Even though I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He's able to keep that which I committed unto Him against that day, I want you to know that I am in the crosshairs of Satan. He is after me. He is after me every day, especially during the night. Because once I wake up and start praying and start studying, boy, I mean, he flees. You know, it's kind of like that old joke about um, when, when you wake up and your feet hit the floor. My wife had a t-shirt like this, I think. You wake up, your feet hit the floor, the mosquitoes uh, bite you and suck the blood out of you. And, and they start singing what song? Something about the blood of the Lamb. Amen. There's power in the blood. That's what it, it is. And, and certainly... We need to be that type of Christian. That when we wake up, if a mosquito bites us, they drink our blood and say, Woo, there's power in the blood of Christ. Amen. And the devils run. The devils flee 
when our feet hit the ground. But when we're asleep, or at least when I'm asleep, boy, they come on to me. And they, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'll have this spirit of depression on me and I feel like the whole world is against me. I feel like my church don't love me, don't pray for me. My wife is cheating on me and she's going to divorce me next week. Oh, <laughs> every, everything in the world comes into my mind and I wake up with this just cloud of depression weighing on me. I beseech Thee, therefore, brethren, that you pray for me as I pray for you. And do not be ignorant of the devices of Satan. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to, he wants to destroy your children. Man, do, do you care anything other than about yourself? Don't you care about your wife or your kids? Don't you care about your grandkids? I'm sure that you do. Do you care about them enough to put God first in your life? Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy. Thank You, God, for this opportunity to be here in this place with this group of people preaching this message at this time for Your glory and Your honor. God, it's all about You. It's not about us. Help us to, to get a, a mind wrapped around just that simple fact that it's all for Your glory and we'll be so much better off We'll praise You for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.